Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato from MediaMonarchy.com. The FBI will disclose information on a rolling basis. We've got that story. Plus, Casalero didn't kill himself. But first, the promise of software. Apple confirms it will begin scanning iCloud photos for child abuse images later this year, meaning what I bet probably means in a few weeks. Apple will roll out technology that will allow a company to detect and report known child sexual abuse material to law enforcement in a way it says will preserve user privacy. Apple told TechCrunch that the detection of child sexual abuse material, which has an acronym, of course, CSAM, is one of several new features aimed at better protecting the children who use its services from online harm, including filters to block potentially sexually explicit photos sent and received through a child's iMessage account. Won't somebody please think of the children that shouldn't have a smartphone in the first place? Another feature will intervene when a user tries to search for CSAM-related terms through Siri and search. Most cloud, and again, this is the kind of people who's like, if you're doing this just right through the search, you, you pro- probably, of course, deserve to get busted. And again, James, crazy conspiracy theorists talk about child abuse, but of course, oh no, Apple, they're, they're on top of it now. Another feature will intervene when a user tries to search for CSAM related terms through Siri and search. Meanwhile, most cloud services, Dropbox, Google, which are the same thing, Microsoft, to name a few, already scan user files for content that might violate their terms of service or be potentially illegal like CSAM. But Apple, of course, has long resisted scanning users' files in the cloud by giving users the option to encrypt their data before it ever reaches Apple's iCloud servers. Apple said its new CSAM detection technology, Neural Hash, instead works on a user's device and can identify if a user uploads known child abuse imagery to iCloud without decrypting the images until a threshold is met and a sequence of checks to verify the content are cleared. Neural Hash will land with iOS 15 for the mobiles and, of course, your desktop Mac OS Monterey, slated to be released in the next month or two and works by converting the photos on a user's iMac or iPhone iMac, they're not called that anymore, into a unique string of letters and numbers, of course, known as a hash. Anytime you modify an image slightly, it changes the hash and can prevent matching. Apple says neural hash tries to ensure that identical and visually similar images, such as cropped or edited images, result in the same hash. Select all squares with sexual predator. And EFF talking about it as well. Apple's plan to think different about encryption opens a backdoor to your private life. And I mentioned it, but like a lot of things, it's maybe worth mentioning again. Apple's plan for scanning photos that get uploaded into iCloud Photos is similar in some ways to Microsoft's Photo DNA, James, which I had never heard of, but of course that's perfect for Dr. Gates. The main difference is that Apple scanning will happen on device. It will happen within your device. And of course, the ability to add scanning systems like this has been a major ask by law enforcement the world over. We'll include links to an open letter signed by former Attorney General William Barr and all kinds of other Western governments but that was just that, that was just Orange Man Bad's attorney general, right? 
what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone, the billboards used to show. Kind of like Gulag said, don't be evil. Kind of like sending your nudes to Zuckerberg for safekeeping, right? Remember back March 2019, send your nudes to Facebook to prevent revenge porn, James. And it just keeps going on and on. And again, they'll use the fig leaf of won't somebody please think of the children. James, are you telling me that Apple's commitment to privacy was just a bunch of rich, creamery butter? Never. I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah, surprise, surprise. Well, okay, I hope people will go and read through the EFF article that we're linking up here because they get straight into the heart of the privacy issues here without the distraction of the window dressing of it's for save the children, um, where, for example, in their article, they write, all it would take to widen the narrow back door that Apple is building is an expansion of the machine learning parameters to look for additional types of content or a tweak of the configuration flags to scan not just children's, but anyone's accounts. That's not a slippery slope. That's a fully built system just waiting for external pressure to make the slightest change. And as we, I'm sure, as anyone who is watching this has seen over the past 18 months, any sort of media narrative over anything can be driven to make the once unthinkable, impossible, possible. And can you imagine whatever kind of domestic ter terrorist, extremist kind of false flag event could then justify them scanning through your files to look for this type of political wrong think or something along those lines? Oh, that would never happen in the free and open Western democracies, right? Ha ha ha. No, this is a serious undermining of any pretense of privacy protection from Apple. And this is something that uh, has been covered. I'll, I'll point to uh, people to Naomi Brockwell's Odyssey channel, not her YouTube channel, of course, um, where she's been covering this recently. For example, actually, she recently, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, before this was all announced, had a couple of videos, the worst messaging apps for privacy and the most private messaging apps, where she goes through some of the different features of the various messaging apps, including uh, Apple's messaging system, and talks about the features that they they have and whether or not they're privacy protecting and why you should or shouldn't be using them. So that's handy. But more specifically on this subject, she just recently had an interview up on her channel about Apple's mass surveillance tool for iPhones that goes into some degree of technical detail about this and what it means. So I will direct people in that direction. Long story short, of course they're going to use the fig leaf of this is about protecting the children, but it goes to underline, I think, something that you and I have been talking about for over a decade now, which is the cloud is, say it with me, just someone else's computer. That is absolutely to the heart of this matter because uh, at least, uh, at least the way they are publicly advertising this, these particular functions, that function for scanning your photos um, in, in device is only for the iCloud backup. It's only when you are backing up to iCloud that apparently that scan happens. So at least at this point, according to what they are saying in their technical specifications, if you turn off the iCloud backup, that particular feature won't be working, although they will still be invading the, the encrypted messages of uh, any children's accounts. So anyway, there's a lot um, to in, uh, unpack here, but I think you get to the heart of the issue when you said that, well, maybe the answer is that the children shouldn't be having these unsupervised iPhone experiences and smartphone slave devices. Maybe if you're a parent who actually cares about your children and whether or not they're doing this type of thing, I don't know, maybe you should be thinking about that at the structural level of, do these kids need a phone? And if so, why? And under what circumstances? Now, let's leave all the parenting to Apple. I'm sure they, their 
where out machine learning algorithms can do a better job, right? Uh, one of these days, I'll get my parents to use Wire, which I believe is still one of the better encrypted chat apps out there. I know now I say it and watch though we'll get all kinds of emails like, no, it's terrible. I'm pretty sure Wire is still pretty darn good. Um, James just kind of reminds like Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes a year or so ago, basically busting on all the celebs in the audience. It's like you work for companies companies that run sweatshops in china while they make movies and overtures about caring for the children so you mentioned additional content yeah exactly like they could just maybe open the algorithms and it could spot all that terror related maga jab news and we, what what two weeks ago we talked about scanning of our text messages for misinformation, which again, James, I still find myself kind of thinking about that one, wondering, will you get stopped in the moment? You can't send that text because the CDC says blah, 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 or Fox News, blah, blah, blah. Super curious about that. Uh, also, sidebar, today here in the States was the day, I guess, that the FCC was running another of their big emergency alert systems that get sent out to everybody's little fondle slabs and slave tracking devices. It's funny, it didn't seem like it actually worked. I asked a couple of people in the Media Monarchy chat today, I was like, hey, did anybody get the thing? And never, I don't think anybody got it. Oh, you Pepsi Democrats, you can't even pull off your terror alert scams. Uh, meanwhile, in other Fangster-related news, the vampire is knocking at your door. Will you let them in? Is $10 enough for your palm print? Amazon thinks so. They're offering a $10 incentive. 10 bucks to give your palm print to Amazon and sign up for Amazon One, a service that asks users to register their palm prints to make purchases at one of its retail outlets in the U.S. That is, of course, if you've been jabbed nine times and you're allowed to leave your, leave your home. Providing Amazon with access to more data, biometric data in this case would be a hot topic of debate considering Amazon's not-so-stellar history with user privacy and its access, access to user information in the first place. But James, I had to double-check to make sure it wasn't John Foster. It was Alan Dulles who said, the American people don't read. Alexa, friend, are you going to give them your palm prints next? As we wonder again where our friends and family will draw the line in the sand, if ever. Our second segment on this New World Next Week, episode 455, is, of course, we are just now less than a month away from the 20th anniversary of that catalyzing catastrophic event, that blank check that continues to be cashed for, of course, endless wars of terror to this very day. U.S. signals it will release some still-secret files on Saudi Arabia and 9-11, the Biden administration, the one that just bombed Afghanistan again today. Make sure you to tell your friend about it. That Biden administration, under pressure from families of victims of 9-11, said on Monday that it intends to disclose some long-classified documents that the families think could detail connections between the government of Saudi Arabia and the hijackers who carried out the attacks. In a court filing and, of course, long-running litigation brought by the victims' families against Saudi Arabia, the Justice Department, uh, more on them in a few minutes, said that the FBI recently closed a portion of its investigation into the terrorist attacks and was beginning a review of documents that it had previously said must remain secret with an eye towards disclosing more of them. 
The FBI has decided to review its prior privilege assertions to identify additional information appropriate for disclosure, the department said in a letter to two federal judges in Manhattan overseeing the case. The FBI will disclose such information on a rolling basis as expeditiously as possible. The terse letter provided no further details about what additional information might become public or when disclosures would begin. I would guess, of course, they would drop them on the 20th anniversary. But, James, are these going to be some redacted nothing burgers? Well, that's certainly what we can expect coming from the FBI, at least in the sense that this is not going to be the signed and sealed confession letter of I was in the bunker at the White House with the plunger. I mean, obviously. Um, and, and there are many observations we can make along those lines with regards to this story, one of which that I've made several times over the years and gone into some detail talking, for example, to Kevin Ryan about the get into Saudi Arabia free card, which was embedded in the official 9-11 story and then redacted as a sort of blackmail looming over Saudi Arabia, um, which I also talked about with regards to the, the 28 pages, for example. That whole, that whole part of the story is... There, there are definitely political implications to that, and this is revolving around them. Another observation that could be made about this story in particular is that this revolves around the 9-11 victims' families and saying Biden shouldn't be attending any of the, the memorials and things because we're not getting those files that we were promised about Saudi Arabia's role. Okay, yeah, understandable. Um, but again, there's obviously politics that are played with 9-11 victims' families, and which ones get the attention, the media attention, and, and get to be the leaders of these movements that are taken seriously and that result in political actions, and which ones are completely marginalized and called crazy. And on that note, you will note that there was very recently a new uh, profile up about Bobby McElveen Jr. Um, in The Atlantic, um, talking about the McElveen family and their story of coming to terms with the loss of their son on 9-11, uh, including Bob McElveen, who will be familiar to people in the 9-11 Truth movement as someone who's been a part of that movement and speaking out about 9-11 Truth for many, many years now, being a vocal 9-11 victim family member involved in bringing attention to these issues. So how is he treated, for example, in the Atlantic? Well, of course, they they treat it essentially as why, as this armchair psychologization, why, why is Bob McElvain so hung up on 9-11 all these years later, and why does he spend so much time thinking about it? It's just his way of dealing with the loss of his son, and, and blah, 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 and trying to marginalize him that way, and then throwing in things about, um, uh, for example, architects and, and engineers for 9-11 Truth, with whom he's been involved, uh, essentially dismissing their concerns as uh, a, um, a physical impossibility that is contradicted by what we saw on that day and that, that sort of rhetoric. Um, uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, which popular, popularized the idea that jet fuel couldn't burn at a high enough temperature to melt beams into molten steel. This is, it should go without saying, contrary to all observable fact. And they essentially talk down and psychologize um, Bob McElvain because it's okay to... to uh, defecate on. I'm trying to think of the polite way of saying it. those those crazy 9/11 victims family members. But the good kind are the ones that are pressuring about Saudi Arabia. Why is that? So there are a lot of aspects to this story. But here's my hot contrarian take on this story. I think most people in our audience will probably already have that opinion that this is just limited hangout. This is nothing burger. Blah blah blah. It's a cover up. 
etc. Okay, can we move beyond that level of analysis? Because I am glad that over the past 15 years or so that you and I have been involved in the independent media space, um, we have seen and in some to some degree helped foster a, a broader understanding of some of these ideas that have now become, I think, uh, part of the parlance of independent media space. Psychological operations, limited hangouts, controlled oppositions, gatekeeping, that's, those sort of concepts are now, thankfully, working their way into the public consciousness. But at a certain point, I think they're used as lazy intellectual crutches to stop people from doing actual research and taking the bits and pieces that we can garner from actual documents that do get released and then connecting those dots ourselves through further research, which is a time-consuming and laborious process, but there is no shortcut to understanding something of the scale, the scope, the magnitude of 9-11. And so to simply dismiss anything that could possibly come out of documents it says, well, that's controlled and limited hangout. Yes, but then you take those bits and you combine them with other bits that you've spent years and years researching and you come to a better understanding of it. There is more to the story and there is an aspect of Saudi intelligence that was involved in 9-11 and we should know more about it. So I'm not going to simply dismiss these documents before they're even released. I think there will probably be some bits in there that we can use to connect with other bits that we've learned along the way. I think that's the process of coming to a deeper understanding of these things. And so I, I'm positing we have to go beyond just calling everything a nothing burger and a limited hangout and a psyop. There's more, there's a deeper level of analysis that needs to go on. And unfortunately that requires actual research, which is a lot harder than just poo-pooing from the sidelines. Anyway, I will have more to say about that, and obviously more to say about 9-11 as we approach the 20th anniversary, but I just wanted to put that on the table. James, I think, uh, like I mentioned last week, maybe it's kind of like COVID. We, we should open, we should be open to these documents, because like they run their mouths too much about COVID, they actually run their mouths too much, and they let too much information out. So please, please release more information. And of course, people can decide whether or not it's just more junk or if it's new data points that we can add to the story we've been working on for almost 20 years. Also, James, pretty sure the Amazon Post said, don't do your own research. Uh, also, I think every week we've been mentioning the phrase nothing burger. There will always be a comment from someone going, what on earth are you talking What's a nothing burger? Nothing burger is a phrase that Project Veritas caught on tape from Van Jones talking about the bullcrap Russiagate story. So they basically go to a Democrat and go, hey, man, what's up with this whole Russiagate thing? He's like, it's a it's a big bunch of nothing burger. That's the same Van Jones who signed a 9-11 truth statement and, of course, buckled like a belt and took it all back the second he was questioned by the Clinton News Network. Get over it, man. They got us. Yeah, pop psychology is super hot these days and yes it is true biden's pentagram announced they conducted several airstrikes on afghanistan today now our final segment on this new world next week episode 455 sorry to disappoint you it won't be a rant from me about how the bonnaroo music festival just announced they'll require maga jabs for everybody I, I've gotten really into calling them MAGA jabs. It makes a lot of the people super mad. It's like, no, Fitz, you took the MAGA jab. And James, I think those two things are the only scam scamdemic references on this episode 455 of New World Next Week, which feels pretty good, you know, nearly two years into two weeks to flatten the curve. 
I talked about it last week at the end of New World Next Week. I've been dropping lots of hints and clues in lots of different places, but the time is now. It is here. Media Monarchy presents Octopus as a radio play for the 30th anniversary. Danny Castellaro. He was a freelance journalist who told his friends and family that he was close to cracking a case he called the octopus, which he called the political conspiracy of the century. And that would be the 20th century. In August of 1991, tech journalist who was getting into this weird story about this software stolen by the Justice Department. In August of 1991, Danny Casolaro packed up his notes and headed to West Virginia to conduct some final interviews for his forthcoming book. Then, on August 10th, 1991, 30 years ago this week, Danny Casolaro was found dead in his hotel room in Martinsburg, West Virginia. His notes were gone, and of course, the death immediately ruled a suicide. Last week, as I was sort of teasing this project, I said it connects to everything from Iran-Contra, BCCI, Oliver North, Rex 84, Continuity of Government. How about Fort Detrick, Biowarfare? How about Coachella chemical weapons tests? And yes, the Justice Department stole this software using what is in the public record, trickery, fraud, and deceit. And even noted socialite, Ghislaine Maxwell, you know, she's awaiting trial for her work with a guy who could have used high-tech AI software to evade capture, just like other intelligence-connected enemies like Saddam or Osama. Ghislaine Maxwell's Mossad agent dad, Robert Maxwell, helped steal the promised software, in his case, for Israel, then, oh, whoops, he drowned. And James, as the tentacles keep stretching and grabbing onto all kinds of things, Biden's Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken's stepfather, Samuel Pizar, P-I-S-A-R, was a longtime lawyer and confidant of Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's dad. As I like to say, it is a rich tapestry. And this is a subject, James, the octopus. You and I have researched and covered Requiem for the Suicided. You did two episodes, 209 and 210 of the Corporate Report broadcast podcast on Danny Casolaro, which even includes some of my own work. I interviewed Albert Lanyer on the octopus, a two plus hour far reaching interview. James, both of those bits are from over a decade ago. So originally what I'm talking about here, octopus, was a play, was a theatrical stage production originally produced in 1996 at Shepherd College, now Shepherd University, where my wife and I met. That original production in the summer of 1996 even actually featured real-life Alexa Friend as an intern. We've worked with the playwright, John Klein, my wife, Cassie. She adapted the stage play into a five-part radio play. She cast it, and she directed it. We have the permission of the Casolero family, and after more than two years of work, it is all on the air this week, every day this week at 2 p.m. Mountain Time in the usual old-time radio time slot. James, I've talked about the old-time radio shows that I play on the Media Monarchy radio show. We've got New Time Radio, the premiere of Media Monarchy's New Time Radio, a brand-new radio play for the 30th anniversary of the loss of Danny Casolero. James, I maybe even missed it myself. Somebody in the Media Monarchy chat shared a picture. I, I guess I was trying to tell you guys about the new project on a recent New World Next Week. I've got the octopus books all spread out behind me that you can see on New World Next Week. So speaking of, folks watching this New World Next Week have one last chance to catch the fifth and final episode of The Octopus this Friday, 
the 13th at 2 p.m. Mountain Time on MediaMonarchy.com slash listen. Then the big question from all the people who have been listening to the episodes so far this week, why are you posting them? Why can't I download them? Well, a digital, deluxe digital package featuring all five episodes of The Octopus, original cover art by a very talented Media Monarchy member, and of course including all the supplemental audio, video, the PDFs, the documents, all those stories that we've collected over the years. A deluxe digital package will be available for sale in one month for all the folks that either missed it and or would like to support our work as Media Monarchy is branching out into whole new areas, James. That's why we were off the air for so long in June and July. By the way, James, of course, you and some other folks knew that's what we were up to. We were in West Virginia with a cast of West Virginia actors and voice talents in my longtime buddy Tony's recording studio in West Virginia. James, Tony and I even made the music for The Octopus. I get to play Jay Maskus' old drum kit on it. Since I couldn't get Kodamus on to do the score for it, I guess, James. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, the best part about this is that, as you know, there have been a lot of people who have just started dipping their toes into these waters over the past year and a half who probably have no idea about the octopus story. They are probably just learning about it for the first time right now. So hopefully this will be a great way of introducing a lot of people to this thing that, as you say, connects into all of the big conspiracies of the 20th century that were swirling around there. This is sort of a nexus point for all of those. And every single tentacle on that octopus is worth learning about in greater detail, whether it's BCCI or Fort Detrick or any of these other different things. There's so much to to explore there. So it's a, a great way of focusing people's attention. I hope people are paying attention to it. And uh, if they missed it this week, I hope they'll get the digital package. Absolutely. I mean, people listening to some of the, to episode three today. Oh my God, I just heard about this story and I'm completely hooked. And that again, that's really the idea. That's the whole thing. The story really does kind of focus on the Casalero family and doesn't get in necessarily to a lot of the heavy duty nuts and bolts of what is obviously, of course, a far reaching decades long story. But I guess, James, maybe in some way it's our own sort of episode of Bart's people using the sort of the human interest angle to get people into this story. And again, it's all documented. There are phrases and quotes within the play that are in the affidavits that are in the public record. This is on a very small level. Oh, it's a play. It's all made up. It is all very much based on fact. So I'm pretty excited about it, James. Finally glad it is out there. And again, a big, huge thanks to my awesome wife, Cassie, for, again, for adapting it, for casting it, for directing it. It's a pretty, it's a big new step for, for Media Monarchy. So in closing, singes us right back to my stream again, because the exclusive New World Next Week audio, before it is published anywhere, is also on my listener-supported stream at MediaMonarchy.com slash listen. That would be Thursdays after the morning show. Morning show is on Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And of course, as we always mention, you can support our work via my American post office box. The address is always down in the show notes, plus links to all the other ways, Stripe, Subscribestar, etc., so that people can continue to support fear-free, ad-free news, music, memes, and more. James? All right. Excellent. Let's leave it there. Looking forward to doing it again next yep. week. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Take care. <laughs>